Hello everyone, you're listening to the Belladance Live podcast. I'm your host Jana Komarnitska and I'm thrilled to share a new portion of dance inspiration with you. If you are a new listener, welcome to the show. Don't forget to subscribe and receive automatic updates about our new episodes. And if you are our regular listener, welcome back. Please leave your reviews on whichever app you're listening. They really help me promote the show and spread awareness about Belladance art form. Plus, I really like hearing back from you. On this note, let's get to our today's episode. This episode was brought to you by the Yana Dance Club, a meeting place for committed dance enthusiasts of all levels. Most of our members shared that the club helped them to improve consistency in their training, meet new dance friends and discover various topics through hundreds of different tutorials. This is definitely a belly dance training that becomes a lifestyle. Learn more at yanadanceclub.com, link in the show notes, or simply visit yanadanceclub.com and try for 7 days for free. Are you ready for a new best of episodes? For me, it's one of my favorite moments of the podcast to hear different opinions, uh, different approaches to the same subject or similar subject from different artists, from different stages of dance life or personal life too. And I love putting them sometimes together, combining on a specific topic. And today what I want to focus on and talk about is about the moments when we kind of consider or actually take actions to pivot our life and pivot our dance life, sometimes thinking about quitting dance career or changing the chapter from one to another or adding something else to make sure it's not just about dance. And the reason why I put our today's episode is not to like, you know, encourage you, oh, quit dancing if you are not fully happy with it. Of course not. Of course, it's all about supporting your dance journey and encouraging you to keep dance journey. And I always feel like whenever you feel frustrated frustrated or disencouraged to continue, it's almost never has to do with actual dance. It's always something around dance that we need to deal that upsets us or distract us. But the dance itself, if we clear up all that space and just live dance, typically it only brings joy. And it's an amazing universe and magic that we discover if we leave space for dance in our life. But with that said, sometimes we do have uh, practical things and sometimes we do face the moments when we feel change is necessary. And this episode is to support you, to encourage you and to give you feeling and understanding that you are not alone if you're facing anything like that in your life. So in our today's episode, we will hear four very different stories. Uh, some of the artists were working full-time as a successful belly dance performers in Cairo. Like you will hear today from Luna of Cairo and Joanna Sahira. And we talked about their decision to leave Egypt, uh, move to their original countries of birth and start something new. And both of those artists approached it differently. Actually, it was interesting because with Luna of Cairo, we were recording this episode or part of the uh, episode that you will hear today, just when she 
took this decision and moved to back to US. But it was just the very beginning of this new chapter in her life. And afterwards, a few years later, we actually recorded another episode fully dedicated to the topic of life after after Cairo, <laughs> after dance Cairo. So if you're interested, I will also include link uh, uh, to the show notes to both interviews so you can hear like let's say before and after but um, today you will hear specifically about her thoughts on why she decided to leave Cairo. The same is Johansa here who when we were recording that interview she was already actively switching her pivoting her career into more teaching activities. Uh, so it was slightly different stage already of her life. Uh, but we also recorded one more episode. So I will always add links to both interviews that we did. But also you will hear from Angelica Scanura and Aradia of Las Vegas, who were not living Egypt or quit or considering completely changing their dance careers, but were considering options of adding something else to their life. So it's not just about dance, that there is some kind of backup option or some alternative option for their artistic fulfillment. And uh, it's also interesting how every single person approaches these moments of crisis, of um, urge to get something else, to get more, to move forward from wherever they are at that moment, but to keep developing, keep growing in whichever direction it means to them. And I'm very happy to put together this episode. I hope it will inspire you. I hope it will give you strength and confidence and a little bit more hope in case you are facing one of those moments of frustration and crisis of trying to self-identify, okay, what's next in my dance chapter or in life in general. And as always, please don't forget to screenshot this episode, share it, see, uh, share what inspired you, what was the most uh, interesting, valuable or relatable to you, share it with your friends. I'm sure you know some people who do need to hear something like that exactly today. So please go ahead and do it. And on this note, I'll let you dive in the episode. I hope you will enjoy it and I will hear, see and connect with you soon next week. You know how many guests we had previously on this podcast sharing how much their experience with BDE pushed their dance career. You can have it too. Join one of the BDE experience intensives and get the training and experience of performing in lead and ensemble roles, open for Aksharki and fusion styles. Details and training materials for the casting are available at www.joinbde.com. Direct link in the show notes, joinbd.com. So, how do you feel now about it that you left Cairo? I don't know if you have any plans on coming back soon or is it a sort of permanent leave, but uh, uh, sort of taking yourself out of that lifestyle of everyday performing, how... How do you feel now that kind of dance drug <laughs> that was a part of your life for so many years? <laughs> Um, I stand by what I said. It is extremely difficult. I, the one thing I am proud of myself for, and I give myself a lot of credit for, is the fact that I was able to make this decision to leave. Um, I don't plan on going back anytime soon. I, I'm done with it. 
Um, I will go back to visit, of course, but not to resettle and dance again. I just basically, I got real with myself. I said, I've been here for 10 years. Every day is like yesterday. Nothing new. Um, I dance every single day. I do a wedding. I do a boat. I do a hotel. Somebody asked me to do a music video. Great. Okay. So I've done this a million times. All these other dancers are doing the same thing. What does all of this mean? I don't even get enjoyment out of it anymore. And whether or not I do this music video, for example, makes no difference because there's 50 million other dancers doing music videos. So what's the point? But yeah, I mean, like I said, I wasn't enjoying it anymore. And I said, there's no point. I came to Egypt for this. I, I never would have come to Egypt to live in Egypt had it not been for this because Egypt is not... It's not an easy country to live in. It's extremely filthy, extremely polluted. It's chaotic. Your people act strange. It's it's just not an ideal place to live. So without this reason for me to be there, I said, enough. I'm wasting my life. I'm wasting my time. Um, life is short. And I don't want this to be the only thing that I do in my life, especially if I'm not enjoying it. So also... My personal life was a complete disaster, and I'm in my, my 30s, so I never really considered my personal life before, but I am starting to now, and I think that this has to take uh, precedence over anything else. I, mean, I cannot have a healthy personal life or a social life in Egypt. I just can't because of people's mentality. It's very different from my mentality. The way they treat each other, the way they treat women, the way the answers, it was just impossible. So I said, I need to get myself out of here. And it was painful on so many different levels. Of course, I wasn't sure if I was making the right decision, only because I said, oh my God, I put in so much hard work and tears and and pain to do what I did, and now I'm just going to pick up and leave and destroy it. But at the end of the day, I said, I don't care. I'll destroy it. But I am not happy here anymore. So... There's no reason for me to stay. Well, I can only imagine how painful it is, but it's definitely very brave to just be able to go and explore something else and something new because I feel we're so much stuck often to something that we kept doing for a long time just because for the sake of keep doing it. It's all we put so much time in it. So why why to leave? Yeah. Exactly. No, it's easier. You know, it's very difficult. People are pretty much averse to change. That is normal human nature. Um, and and ten years is enough. It's a lot. And ten years, you know, the best years of my life I put into this country. So I said I need to stop being fearful of what can happen if I leave. And I'm gonna recreate my life. Mm. So actually, you know, it's only been a month. It will be exactly a month tomorrow. Um, so far, I'm at peace with myself. I'm at peace with my decision. I'm very happy being home. I feel like I've been released from a prison. No joke. I'm not just. I'm not just saying this. I really do. I, feel mm-hmm. like I have been released from jail, or like I've died and gone to heaven, or I just feel free and liberated. So I'm pretty sure I made the right decision. Well, congratulations on that, and if it feels good, it's definitely the right one. And good luck with your further exploration of your life and paths, and I'm sure it will be awesome. And uh, 
at least not, not less exciting, but I'm sure even more exciting than the previous pages. Um, just let us know, please. Are you planning to keep dance in your future? <laughs> or you're trying to keep something changing completely to something different? <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying to do both. Um, I Right now, I'm taking a lot of different types of dance classes. I'm taking West African dance, which I love, and it is my new addiction. I'm taking Haitian classes, and that's really fun, too. And I like it because it's so different from belly dance. It's it's the place where you can be big with your movement, and you can be strong, and you can be violent, and you can let it all out. And it's not like belly dance where you have to contain yourself and make it small and nuanced. So that's a lot of fun. Um, also, I want to get a regular job, but I will continue to teach dancing, belly dancing. I want to become more active on the festival and workshop circuit. Um, I think that I need to capitalize on everything that I did in Egypt. I put in all this effort and all this money. <laughs> yes, money. It cost me a lot to be there. I didn't make money. So I think it's my turn now to, to reap the benefits of what I did. Um, I am, like I said, I'm teaching workshops. I have a couple of festivals coming up. I'm going to do something in Florida, and then I'm going to China, and then I'll be back. Um, I offer Skype lessons. I translate songs for people, and I am going to start teaching Egyptian Arabic. So, yeah, I think there's a lot that I can do mm. in the dance world, and I'm looking forward to that. Baladin sort of grabbed you and hold you. <laughs> you mentioned once that you are, you are working or you were working and you're still working not in the Egyptian dance business, but, but in a dream making business. Okay. Can so this is a very interesting question. Look, when I, I just mentioned that I, I went to Egypt many times for studying, but then eventually I moved to start my career. And that was not only a move for my career. It was a big dream that was born out of nowhere. So I cannot teach nowadays, and, and addressing your question, I cannot teach Egyptian dance without teaching people how to know themselves and how to feel what they want and who they are and how to go for it and make it happen. For me, these two things are linked and and they are linked for two reasons they are linked because in my path that's what i've been doing you know i actually went to egypt created my shows picked my trip literally by myself without context without agent without impresario without manager without anything this is really mad you know without knowing the language at the time i built an old career from scratch by myself in an environment that is very threatening, in an environment that is highly corrupted. And I made it in a way that made me proud, not only of my success in my work, but proud of myself as a person. Because sometimes what, what happens when you go to Egypt to start your career is that you may become famous or known, but you don't like yourself that much anymore and you don't like the dance anymore because in order to become known, you do things you're not proud of and you do jobs you're not proud of and you work in conditions you are not proud of for the sake of the fame. I never did that. So I'm very, very proud and 
very aware of what it means to be successful in Egyptian dance, but at the same time, become a person that you really love, a person that has evolved into a human being that is, you know, more intelligent, kinder, more honest, uh, more confident, uh, pure in the heart, you know, making it happen professionally while growing as a person and achieving your dreams with this sense of dignity. This has been my path. So this is what I teach. The other reason why I link these two things, Egyptian dance and dream making, it's because when you really get into Egyptian dance, and I don't mean superficially, because there are many levels of Egyptian dance, as you can imagine, there is not only one level. And there are many markets in Egyptian dance. When you go for it, deeply, you understand that Egyptian dance is perhaps, from the tools that I know, the most powerful tool for self-knowledge and empowerment. It's the most powerful tool, I will repeat, for self-knowledge and empowerment. And self-knowledge and empowerment is exactly what you need to turn your dreams into reality. May that be in the dance field or outside of the dance field because the self-confidence that you need to be a great performer, let's say, it's the same self-confidence you need, you know, to go on a date with someone you're interested or, you know, to get yourself in shape or, you know, f to achieve anything you want outside of the dance field. It's not a different kind of self-confidence. You know, when I speak about self-love, for instance, and I teach about self-love, I have all modules in the workshops and in my online school about self-love. I'm not only teaching you self-love for you to become a better dancer and make sure, you know, making sure that, you know, self-love makes you a better dancer. But self-love is also that is going to benefit you outside of the dance field as well. When we work on creativity, for instance, which is something I focus on in my teaching, so instead of just teaching you movements, everybody's teaching and teaching you choreographies that you're going to love, but that you're going to memorize and get stuck with. What I do is I actually develop skills to allow you to expand your movements, to expand your language, to create your style within the Egyptian dance style. That's called creativity. It's called independence. It's called intelligence. It's called resourcefulness. Those skills are going to serve you as a dancer, but they're going to serve you outside of the dance field, <laughs> obviously. So when I link Egyptian dance and dream making, I, I link them, you know, because they're so obviously connected to me, mm -hmm. you know, again, not only because in my path, this is what has been happening, you know, but also because Egyptian dance is connected with awakening your source of creative power awakening your resilience, awakening your strength, knowing who you are, who am I, what do I want? You know, when you listen to a piece of music, right? And you learn how to ask, how do I listen to this piece of music? It's not how my teacher listens. Even if my teacher listens in a very interesting way, I'm not saying it's not important. I'm saying is that you as a dancer must be able to learn the perspective of others, like your teachers, and discover your perspective. How do I listen to this music? What does it make me feel? What kind of memories, what kind of sensations, what kind of thoughts, what kind of universes this music arises in me? 
This kind of sensibility and self-knowledge is a tool for dream making. Because if you're not in contact with who you are and the way you see the world, the music, the movement, whatever, you don't even know what your dreams are. And this is what happens with most people I know. They don't even know. They just follow what everybody else is doing. Oh, everybody else is going out. Okay, so I'm going. Everybody else wants a house, big house. Okay, I'm going to have a house. Okay, everybody else wants a nice car, fancy car. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. Everybody else uh, uh, wants to be fit and they're doing yoga or they're going to this gym. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. If you ask most people, what do you really want? They don't know because they don't even ask themselves that. And Egyptian dance is a huge and very pleasurable way of putting you in contact with yourself in a way that you're really aware. It's not what others want. It's not what your parents want. It's not what your society wants. It's not what everybody else is wanting. It's what do you really want to feel happy? You know, what do you really want? I give you an example. I was in Egypt performing daily, intensively, for almost eight years. That That's a long time, especially when you're doing it, you know, you're managing everything by yourself. So it's a hard job. I'm managing my whole orchestra, my clients, my show, everything, everything. So it's, it's, it's wonderful, but it's really hard. And it came a time when I realized that stage, that cycle was over. And everybody was shocked starting with my musicians, when I told them, guys, I'm thinking about leaving because, and mind you, I was at the top of my success. So it wasn't like I was having a hard time. No, I was, you know, finally comfortable, you know, and smooth sailing. I I used to say people would come to my show, even if I went with my knickers on my head, you know, because once you prove yourself and people search for your name, because this is how it happens in Egypt. People start to search for your name. They go for you. They don't go for a random show. They go to Sijuana. They pay for a specific dancer. They know where, where you're performing and when you're performing. So it's very rewarding because you work so hard for this place of comfort, but suddenly I realize, okay, this is not my dream anymore. And everybody around me told me, you're really crazy. How come you come all this way? You worked so far. You have everything you wanted and now you're living? I mean, you're crazy. What's happening? And although everything around me was telling me to continue because I was in my comfort zone, you know, I, I had the musicians I wanted. I was performing where I wanted. I had the conditions I wanted. I had full houses every night. What else? What else? You know? But I knew there was more and I knew that format, that dream had been achieved and it was over. And I didn't know exactly what would come next, but I knew that something fresh had to come in order to make me feel alive. And that is the kind of inner awareness and authenticity and truthfulness that you develop when you're deeply into the Egyptian dance craft. You really know yourself and you know, oh my God, this is over. It's not giving me joy anymore. It's it's closed. It's a chapter that has been closed and now a new one has to be opened. This is the dream that comes from within. It comes from self-awareness, self-knowledge. And Egyptian dance, if you really go for it, as you probably should, it, it will give you that awareness. It will give you that contact with your heart, that contact with your core, that makes you in love with the exterior world, but not depending on it. 
and not so influenced by it. You know, like you're interested in the outside world, but the most interesting world is the one you carry within. And that's the one you're always going to go inside for answers. That's what Egyptian dance teaches you, you know, if you go for it on a deeper level. So there is no way I can separate Egyptian dance teaching in the more typical format, dance, movement, steps, choreographies, history, culture, blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's wonderful. It's very interesting. It's a world in itself. But what about all that and (laughs) these skills that make you a more powerful dancer, very unique, and a more powerful human being who can actually manifest the things you truly dream of? Mm. This is perfect. And it makes all sense to me. So what's next for you? Like any big projects? Are you (sighs) heading more towards stand-up comedy now? Or any big dance and music projects we can wait from you in the nearest future? (laughs) Um, Life has been very interesting this last year. A year ago, I got approached um, by Moses Neimer, who who started City TV. Right. And he runs Zoomer Media. And um, he produced the show 20-Minute Workout, which was a huge cult classic in the 80s. 1983, 1984, I believe. Those were the years that it ran. And um, we brought that back and I hosted it. Um, We shot 30 episodes and it's going to be on one TV in October. And um, so it's like an 80s themed workout with comedic sketches in between each workout segment. So it's so crazy. Like a year and a half ago, I had like a personal breakdown. (laughs) what's happening you know when you the uncertainty of life as an artist and when you don't when you feel like again once I I felt like something was missing I guess because it's been almost like 10 years right so I was just like I got this 10-year itch when it came to dancing and uh I was just like oh I just don't feel inspired to get into the studio uh what but I know I want to perform and I'm like what do I want to I feel like I need to speak but I don't want to be in Shakespeare or anything I don't want to I don't want to speak somebody else's words right now. I, I just want to talk and I have so many things that I want to say about life, not just about dancing. And so I dove back headfirst into stand up, which is I started as a hobby about five years ago. Hell of a stressful hobby. Stupid to have a, a hobby uh, like that because <laughs> it's something that requires so much work and patience and effort and time. And, um, with no guaranteed reward, just like most things, but. Yeah, because um, I guess the reward a lot depends on the audience. It depends on other people. It doesn't depend just on you. Yeah. And that's always tricky. I was craving re audience reaction because like dancing, mm. you're in a theater, you give, you give, and then at the end people clap and then who knows what they say after you wait for a review you know, people tell, oh, that was so nice. Oh my gosh, this is this. And I'm like, is this, I'm like, I want, I need reaction. And I, I started to see what was happening to dance and dance was become is becoming like this. People are doing multimedia. It's not enough to just dance anymore. I find it's like, people are going, I have this projection then I have this happening. And it's like, it's cool that we have 
so many technological resources and people are so creative that they're getting more site specific. They're doing this, they're doing that. And I'm like, oh my God, this is stressing me out. They're incorporating spoken word. I was finding, uh, I was like every dance show I went to, uh, cause I was a Dora Maver Moore judge the year before last. So I saw all these dance shows and all of them were speaking and I'm like, okay, so clearly dancers want to talk sometimes, but then it would affect how I viewed the movement because dance is also kind of the dance form where you need no language to get your point across. Yeah. And for me, it was getting to the point where I felt like I needed language and I was seeing other dance shows and I'm like, clearly dancers are needing language now and, and they want something more. And that was a sign to me. I'm like, okay. My neck hurts a lot. I'm getting kind of cranky teaching classes. I have no dance inspiration right now. Um, and and if now, it's either now or never. And I started seeing posts in the Toronto stand-up community. Uh, we need more female comics, more female comics. If you're a female comic, you get a spot on this show tonight. If you're a female comic, you get this. And I'm like, okay, it's clearly a need, right? Um, so I got back into it. And I started doing it every night and um, just flash forward in March, I did a residency uh, Broadway comedy club in New York City. Mm, that's awesome. And um, it was difficult to get that, but um, I got it pretty fast considering it was my third time doing comedy in New York and things just kind of aligned. And then I got into Burbank Comedy Festival last year and I'm going again in August. So I'm going to be in LA and, and I've gone to perform at some of the best comedy clubs in the world. And, um, we, I did this TV show and they really let me spread my wings and write all kinds of silly things and sketches for it. And it's like, my head is in that space. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's kind of what I'm up to right now. I've got that TV show coming out and I'm just doing a lot of stand up and festivals mm. and whatnot. So it's very exciting. Um, is there nepotism in comedy? Just like with every art form, there's nepotism. There's people doing each other favors. There's the maybe the funniest person gets like there's people that I thought, OK, like, sorry to, to backtrack, but it, oh. What I noticed in dancing, and here's just something I'll say here, but you'll notice somebody that's not as good a dancer. And then people are like, oh, but they're so great. And it's an interpretive thing. And art is all about interpretation. I'm like, they're not that good. <laughs> that's sort yeah. to be negative. But there's something going on. And then suddenly you see, I'm just like, okay, what kind of black magic have they performed that this is able to happen? But the thing is, you can't say that about anything in dance. Because people will say, well, dance is an interpretive art. It's all about how you're interpreting it and how they've stylistically chosen to do this. And I'm like, no, nah, okay, okay, okay. So that's another reason I was like, you know what, comedy, you're either funny or you're not. The funniest people do the best and the not so funny do the worst. And I was shocked to see in comedy that it's actually kind of the same things you run into. You're like, okay, this person, you can literally count laughs per minute I was like I what I what infuriates me about art in general is that the fact that it cannot be measured and so you could take a freaking canvas 
and sploosh some paint on it and somebody will be like, $10,000, this is my art. And uh, if you say this isn't art, then you know, you've got a problem. It's how you're interpreting it, right? And, and I'm like, no, that's a splash of paint on a canvas. I see that very clearly. You can't fool me. So and I was just getting so frustrated with that, you know, like uh, people and their ideas and then being like sitting on their high horse and going, this is my art, you know, how dare you, right? And it's like, come on. And um, with comedy, I'm like, you can count a laugh. That's one laugh, two laughs, three laughs. Okay, this person got 23 laughs in a five-minute set. You know, like, I liked that. And I craved that. Being able to measure some tangibility in in art and performance. And uh, having to be accountable for what was coming out of my mouth. And not being afraid to go, yeah, I don't like that. Uh, but also having to make sure that I don't completely turn people off. Because that's also the adverse effect. Uh, of being able to say whatever you want is not everybody's going to like what you have to say. And in turn, because it's coming from you, they don't like you. Oh, yeah. Then we transfer the effect of art on the person. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the dangerous part of comedy. And that's only something that I realized. I'm like, everybody's going to love it. They're all going to love it. No. And sometimes there's no real good reason. Whereas dance, if you don't like it, nobody's really going to go, boo or like tell you suck why Ugh. you know like whereas in comedy that happens a lot you'll say something and somebody will go whoa why and then you have to shut them down in a nice way without losing your core value <laughs> so i'm like okay it's uh it's very challenging mm, it's so very interesting to hear things that we as dancers can relate. You have a really interesting perspective, not only coming from flamenco to ballet dance, but now <laughs> transitioning into a spoken, uh, spoken art, mm -hmm. uh, but still performing art, yes. still being on stage, communicating with audience. But it's interesting to see both sides, like things that we value as ballet dancers mm -hmm. and appreciate and like this, but also things that become invisible to us. Mm -hmm. Because we like to, we always, in every profession, including ballads, we like to complain. And I know some people, yes. I had received a couple of messages from people like, oh my God, the podcast there, there was a couple in a row that we were discussing uh, behind the scenes. It's like, oh, it's almost depressing. <laughs> and like, that's just because this is the stories oh, that no. make interesting. They said it's depressing? <laughs> to hear all about problems. It's not like the only problems <laughs> and negative stuff we realize, but no. we all... In any profession, in any industry, we like to complain. But then now yeah. listening to your... Complaining's fun. <laughs> I love it. That's the best story. <laughs> but then basically listening now about your experience in a stand-up com comedy coming from a ballet dance world, it's like reminding us, oh, yeah, that's what became invisible to us ballet dancers, this yeah. safety, sort of safety guard around us that it's... If it's a live performance, live communication, it's not that direct or easy to get a negative feedback to you. You can feel cold from audience, mm. but it's not somebody will come and say, no. oh, it was bad or like, it's no. very rare. Like on the internet, that's a different story. Yes, the internet, oh, no. <laughs> that's, that's not even touched. That's just creepy, creepy people. But yeah. I'm saying because it's much tougher to get it live in your face. Like, yes. you know, especially yes. during the, in the middle of your performance, like yes. you have in a stand-up comedy. 
we don't have that in ballet dance. No. I mean, at least I can't count no, any occasions. You, don't. You, you, you could, yeah, like you mentioned, you could go on stage and you feel like the audience is like tired or waiting for something, you know, but they will still watch. They will still clap. They will still do all of that. And then they got a part of you, but you still have retained yourself. And then you don't know, like in the adverse position, you're, if you're an audience member and you're watching a dancer, wow, that's a beautiful dancer. You don't know who they are as a person. Whereas comedy, you go up and it's a person being like, this is who I am. Now, ah, laugh, right? And it's yeah. like, if the, if the comedian doesn't get the laugh in the first 30 seconds, it's like, there's a panic mode that goes off. You're like, oh my God, they're not laughing. They didn't laugh at my opening line. Oh gosh, how's the rest of this going to go? And you have to really stick to your guns and plow through. Or let's say you get the laugh earlier than you thought on a line that was not a punchline. Then you're like, hey, this is, you suddenly relax and it's easy. And there's those nights where it's like, people just laugh at everything you say. It's magical. But you never know if and when that's going to happen. Whereas dancing, you can feel if you're on your legs that day. You can feel if you're on your balance. You can tell that the crowd really wants to see you. And and you you know you're going to do a good show. But I also feel that dance has much more individual individual focus on it because in comedy you do need to have a reaction of audience you cannot yes. just tell jokes from stage for yourself no all in dance uh the one of the important points is to make sure that you enjoy your dance performance and you are able to enjoy your dance performance even if if yes. anyone else in the audience didn't enjoy it yeah it's still possible and it's one of the main things that we I guess, keep reminding each other, ourselves, especially in those desperate moments. Like, yeah. it's not necessarily about pleasing audience then. I no. mean, of course, we perform for audience. We want, but it's also a lot it's about your... fulfillment Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Huh. Yeah. No, dance is the number one soul food. Like, you always have to dance for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I do. Every week. It's so strange. I, I belly dance. I've been belly dancing a lot lately and I found my dancing going downhill for a while. And it was because I was not dedicating enough focus to even preparing the simple act of preparing for a show. I was rushing through it and, and not warming up properly. And then I was finding like a lack of inspiration. And I'm like, I have to sit down. I'm not going to go run out and take a class or anything because I'm pretty disciplined in self-practice. And I know I like I record myself when I practice and then I watch it back and I'm like, okay, I know I look at myself like I'm any one of my students and mm -hmm. I make those corrections and I redo it. And, and I watch videos like it's so easy to find videos these days and I just stop and then I'm like, what did she do? That was like Oksana. I watch her all the time and I'm like, like every little thing is just so intricate. And I mean, she does some back bends where I'm like, oh, I can't do that anymore. Um, <laughs> but like, but like she does so many cool things and I'll like just make my way through different dancers and pick up one little thing that they did and, mm -hmm. and just drill that. And I find my dancing is like, okay, I'm back to where I was. 
good. And then my shows are a lot better. Mm. You have a very interesting trajectory of going through like little artistic crisis <laughs> and lack of inspiration. And when art comes to becomes a like lifestyle job or work, yeah. it's very typical. But not not everyone is ready to talk about it. So I'm I'm really uh, um, thankful that you are open and just talking about it. But thinking back to your let's say first mentioned crisis that you got only in ballet dance because mm -hmm. you were frustrated with other dance forms before and then you were talking about your recent one then you again after 10 years of ballet dance like <laughs> another crisis <laughs> oh my god i'm so many so many crises what i'm just dramatic sorry No, it's, it's artists <laughs> we can we can afford ourselves being dramatic sometimes <laughs> and i mean I can so much relate to it because this podcast was born out of the same frustration for me. <laughs> I was like, It's I want to do. talk to other people and see what is their experience. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, podcast is because, a perfect excuse. Because belly dancing is such like, when you go into a show, you're on your own. You're the belly dancer, right? And then sometimes I'm wondering, I'm like, is everybody going through this or am I just really bad at like dealing with certain things or is there something that I didn't say that I should have said so that I wasn't, wouldn't end up in this situation, you know, or like, do they, do other dancers get as much attitude from potential clients on the phone as I seem to sometimes, you know, like the things people say are just, are shocking or like, you know, just like treatment sometimes is just like, oh man. And here I am, I'm like thinking everybody's, you know, got their perfect contracts and you know nobody would dare say anything negative and you know I, I'm like it's just me it's just me isn't it and, and then I find I started just being myself and things got <laughs> better rather than trying to be on my That's best true. behavior all the time last time then uh, I saw you and we talked I remember you had some thoughts and uh, projects of uh, possibly going to study uh, something completely not related to dance and who knows maybe even possibly switch or quit dancing or at least add uh, something new to, to your life and I think it was uh, I don't remember exactly the specialty you were mentioning uh, but something either medical or yes. therapy I don't know I, yes. I, I, I just remember you were talking about that I'm really curious like uh, how did that go <laughs> yes actually um, I went back to school Uh, and got a degree as a cardiac sonographer. So I work with cardiac patients and uh, I'm in diagnostics. So I work in several hospitals here in Las Vegas. And it was definitely, I wanted to have some um, other career in place for when, you know, it's time to transition from performing nightly or, you know, that kind of thing. And I didn't want it to be a frantic, oh no, I'm too old to perform now or I've injured myself and I can't perform now. What do I do kind of thing? And so I've been able to, you know, slowly bridge into working in medical and still dance. And I still perform weekly and teach and do all of that just scaled back. And, and, and it's working very well. And I'm, you know, I'm happy I did it. It was um, at one point the thought of not being a full-time professional dancer, just, made my head explode because I couldn't imagine it. And I was, you know, in fear of how would that even look in my life? Because I'd been doing this for so long. 
but uh, you know, I just did it slowly and I've been gradually just, you know, transitioning a little bit here and there. And uh, you know, I enjoy it. It's, I'm being of service to people and helping, you know, sick people find out what's wrong with them. And, and that's rewarding because, you know, when people are in a hospital that, you know, it's, they're in crisis and they're very in a lot of fear. And so there's a lot of reward to being able to, you know, be helpful in that sense. Do you think this is something that uh, all uh, dancers need to think about in advance about this uh, uh, extra uh, think along the dance? Uh, because so many girls are just putting all their energy and all their life uh, only in dance. And sometimes we don't think about those situations that uh, maybe we'll need to stop dancing just because we can't or... For whatever reasons, physical sure. or not physical, but uh, um, when did this uh, thought occurred uh, in your mind, and and why? Like, was it just because of uh, physical pressure and realization that it won't be forever? But many dancers would think, okay, we can switch to teaching, maybe or something else. Uh, I'm just again curious and interested in your experience because uh, probably some people. Uh, are going through something possibly um, similar and also can't imagine uh, quitting dancing and uh, or not quitting but uh, making it a smaller part of their lives and there are some dancers who don't even want to think about that and just thinking oh no it will be forever <laughs> sure and, and we all go through that where you know oh yeah we just get so focused on it we don't notice that you know in in dance that you have you know, there's a time limit on how long they'll let you continue to perform in restaurants or nightclubs or, you know, in the hotels or something, because they, you know, what we talked about earlier with the appearance and the looks, they want the younger girl, uh, even if she isn't as trained as the, you know, the veteran dancer. So, you know, all dancers need to keep that in mind that, you know, doing this while you're young, that's great. Um, but definitely you've got to have that backup plan, especially if you are a less self-supporting dancer, you know, and like I said, the burden falls on that dancer to, you know, to pay the mortgage and to pay the health insurance and all of those things, then you don't want to be all of a sudden out with a back injury or um, think that you still have a few more years to go and the restaurant owner comes and says, it's really time for you to retire, you know, and be stuck. And I just didn't ever want to be in that position where I was like frantic at a transition and I didn't have any options, you know? So it's one of those things where you, you know, I think it's important for all dancers to consider, you know, what's the future going to look like and at least have an idea, you know, a, a 10 year plan, a 20 year plan, whatever of um, what can, you know, what can they transition into if they start cutting back on dancing or they have to stop altogether or something and, you know, getting the education is something you don't always have to go to work in right away, but you can get the education done and have it in your back pocket for when you need it, you know, business plan, something, something along those lines. But I really do think it's, you know, um, it just takes a lot of the stress off because there's, you know, a lot of stress involved with, being a dancer, your income is not always uh, set. You don't know what you're going to make each month to month. You know, how many students will show up in your class? Who knows? 
again, that's unknown income right there. Can you make it make it just on teaching? If you have, you know, other help at home, possibly, but, you know, if you live in a big city where you have classes five, six nights a week and they're packed, well, then absolutely. But not everybody lives in, in that kind of a situation. And so uh, I think it's important to, you know, just have that planning or at least have it in the back of your mind of possibilities. Yeah, that's a great advice. And also I can add, even if you manage to do living uh, uh, fully relying on dance, uh, we often forget about those uh, retirement years. Yes, yes. And as dancers, we often don't have a good retirement plans from governments. And we don't think about saving in advance for those uh, those years and making it really ahead of time preparing um preparing our lives <laughs> exactly exactly we get caught up in the artistry of this and the passion that we have for the art that we forget the business aspect of a career which if you just worked in a in a corporate office you would think about your retirement packages and your 401ks and all that stuff but because we don't work in that traditional environment i think we tend to not remember that those are important aspects of the, you know, of a profession as well. So some kind of investment process or something for, like you said, your you know, retirement years. This episode was brought to you by the Yana Dance Club, bringing more consistency and more fun into your dance training online. Check it out at yanadanceclub.com, direct link in the show notes. And before you leave, don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends, as well as leave a review on iTunes or any other app you're using to listen to the show. The more people know about this podcast, the easier it is for me to bring even more awesome guests. Until next time, keep shimming and keep dancing.